Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the state of Weighing In. I'm David Maricatani. It is my real pleasure to be joined by the 2018 Wrestling Journalist of the Year, formerly with the Open Mat, Alex Steen. Alex, welcome to the show and the track wrestling. Thanks for having me, David. A lot going on in the world for July. Good month in wrestling. For sure, man. And uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, working the Perry Tournament of Champions with you. And um, people that haven't read your work really should. I know you're going to bring a lot to the show. Let's get right into it. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this yet, but Final X wrapped up, wrapped up a couple weeks ago. What is What are your thoughts on the whole process from the U.S. Open to the World Team Trials to Final X in three locations? What did, what did you think was good and bad about that? I think what they were trying to do with establishing a season, more of a rhythm, keeping the senior level folks in the spotlight longer, I think that was a success. Um, there's a lot of conversation about Final X. There was a lot of time to break it down with the three weekends in a row all separated from the trials. Um, I think that was a success. And one of the things, when it first came out, I wasn't sure about Final X. Uh, you know, I was in, in attendance at Lincoln last year. It was an incredible event. And, you know, I wasn't the only person that came away from that event going, I'm never going to miss a world team trials again. And then when they said, okay, we're going to stretch this out. It's going to be basically four weekends now for what was in Lincoln last year. Um, I, I wasn't sure if that was the right thing, but seeing it, it definitely earned the right to continue maybe a tweak or two here and there. But overall, I think try it again next year to see if it can build some momentum and see how it goes. Yeah, I think maybe I was one of those people in Nebraska that was like, this may have been the best live event, you know, I've had the privilege of going to. I, I think one of the side benefits of Final X is that the women's wrestling got a lot more publicity and notoriety, and that's great for our sport. Um, I do think, I, you know, you know the people that I know, and we know a lot of the same, you know, same folks, and I think a lot of these coaches – it was a big, big stressor for them, both time-wise and financially, to have to coach multiple guys on multiple different weekends. And it's really not ideal. You know, if you have a guy wrestling on weekend one and then a, a girl wrestling on weekend three, when you're leaving that girl, you know, like two weekends before she wrestles, that's not an ideal training environment. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I also read an article that Dan Gable was speaking and said, yeah, at the world team trials, it was even, it was difficult for him to follow which matches were going to be best out of one and which, which weight classes were going to be best out of three. Uh, what do you think that USA wrestling can do to try to, to try to rectify some of those things? It's a hard question to answer. Um, anytime you make a change like this, it's going to benefit in certain for certain people and it's going to be a drawback for others. There's no, silver bullet to it and definitely it stressed the coaches and the clubs more than anybody else i think um and i think forrest molinari and i'll take a second to second what you were saying about the women's wrestling i've you know i've gotten into that more and more in the last couple of years and it was great to see them alongside the men this year um a lot of people were exposed to how good our women are, and that's that's important. But I think it was Forrest Molinari that was present at all three of the Final X sites, and I think she wrestled at the last one. I can't remember exactly which one, but she was along at tra as a training partner for the other two. So 
she probably wasn't the only one and the coaches are there and you know this isn't a sport with a lot of money so that's it's something that needs to get looked at but that's also something that I was kind of alluding to when I said this deserves to go forward and see if it can build momentum the clubs are going to figure that stuff out you know when your schedule changes dramatically like it did this year it changes everything and everybody's going to complain a little bit and no doubt it's going to stress people out, but some of that stuff will get easier after you do it a time or two. There were some lessons learned this year, I'm sure. We've got smart people in this sport. It's not ideal for the clubs, but at the same time, the successful clubs are the ones having those problems. They're going to figure this out. Um, I'm not sure there's really a good fix for USA Wrestling that will really help that many people. I mean, you could move a site to Iowa City to help out the Hot Guy Wrestling Club, but does the Hawkeye wrestling club really need the help? I think they're one of the better funded clubs in the country. So I'm not sure I see a, a great solution there. Do you have any thoughts on how to fix that? Well, I'm not sure that they're doing it based on which clubs it's going to help. I think it's based on, I'm pretty sure these locations are paying a fee to USA wrestling to host it. And so it's, it's a spot where hopefully they can recoup that fee. I know Lincoln drew fairly well. And um, I know that Penn State drew fairly well, and I know they were a little disappointed in the Lehigh turnout. I had heard some crazy low numbers leading into that last week. And I think what it points out bigger picture, not to take us on a tangent, but I think it's really important to understand how much people root for the laundry in this country. You know, that, I mean, it's interesting. Like Penn State is a great place to watch wrestling. Like, I don't know how many thousands of people came out to watch the Penn State, Ohio State duel, you know, but none of those guys were wrestling for a world team spot, except for Snyder, and he'd already wrestled. You know, conversely, you have, you know, super high-level guys and gals, and, you know, they didn't come close to that same kind of crowd. So I, I think USA Wrestling really needs to try to play to, you know, the people that root for the laundry. And I, I know they did that by having Lincoln host, you know, where the, where the three men's thoughts were, you know, Council Bluffs for Gilman and obviously Nebraska for, for James and for Jordan. And I think they picked Penn State because they thought Zane was going to be in this as well as Taylor. The Lehigh one, I'm not really sure I understood the logic behind that. Um, I mean, I Gwizdowski trains in that area, but it really wasn't, didn't feel like a fit. I know some people have talked about going out west, either Fresno or Arizona State next year. Um, like you said, there's no simple answer. And it, it kind of leads us to another, I don't know if it's a dilemma, but I certainly think it's an issue, which is all these true third matches, uh, especially the ones where guys like Austin Schaefer and guys like Tony Ramos, who won the U.S. Open, had to go out and wrestle for true third. And some people may not understand this. I really didn't understand this fully until I spoke to some people in the know. The true third spot is valuable for two different reasons. Number one, there's a stipend. But you could actually argue that if you have to book travel at the last minute, that it would be better off to not go and just pay your guy the stipend out of the RTC money. But what the true third spot does earn is it's anywhere from three to five different tours the international tournament in which you're paid for by USA Wrestling. And, you know, I don't have a horse in this race, but I do think it's silly that if Tony Ramos won the U.S. Open and Austin Schaefer won the U.S. Open, that they should have to wrestle either a guy they already beat 
or a guy who lost to somebody they already beat again for two-thirds. And I'd be interested on your thoughts about that. That's not something I'd thought much about, but I, I, off the cuff, I agree with you. I mean, it seemed shoehorned in. Um, I mean, there wasn't anywhere else you could have it, so it made sense to have it at Final X, but it didn't seem to fit with, you know, the showcase. I mean, two-third matches are great, but it seemed like an afterthought. And maybe that was part of that was, you know, we had an injury default and a couple other things, you know, they held them beforehand, but those matches are valuable. One of the complaints I saw with the system, which was a little silly because there wasn't the U S open, if anything was more valuable this year than it has been in the past couple of years, not much changed in, you know, the value of that tournament. But I have seen several people say that the U.S. Open isn't valuable enough. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe instead of a true third, whoever places higher at the Open gets that spot. Or if you win it, you know, obviously that would be easy enough to fix. Maybe that's an incentive to go to the Open for more people. I don't know. But I I do think traveling for the true third matches doesn't make a lot of sense. It it may get you value in the long term, but that's, that's a weird situation to be in where you're traveling for one match and it's not the finals. Yeah. And like the Jaden Ironman and Andy Simmons match makes more sense to me because neither one of them um, won the open, but it, like I said, Austin Schaefer, and now he's off because he was injured, right? which is really tough for him. And then, you know, a guy like Ramos has to go out there and it sounds silly, but he could have done a camp that weekend and made money right now instead of making money. He has to go wrestle to try to just keep a spot that, you know, I think most people would say you won the U S open and your point is well taken. We're trying to make the open be more valuable. Like I think if you say, look, if you may win the U S open, you're one of the top three guys. I think, you know, that would incent even more guys to go to that or gals, excuse me, but to be politically correct, it would incent more wrestlers to go to the open. You know, because if you could have a great open, you're on you're on the U.S. national team, which is a lot of notoriety. And like we said, there's several financial and, and competition benefits to that. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So let's jump to Cadet Worlds and let's kind of do it in the reverse order. Let's talk about the Greco team first. One medal for the U.S. Um, I was I, I had a chance to coach at the 2024 Olympic Training Center camp this past week in Colorado Springs. Um, Shout out to Mike Clayton and all the people up there that run a really great camp. And it was cool to be a part of that and uh, to to be able to work with some, some young hammers up there. Um, And, you know, they put a big stress on Greco, you know, coach Mo up there. And then a couple of the guys that uh, ran private sessions did Greco as well. To me, this is, I've thought this for a while, but you're a guy that thinks big picture. I kind of want to get your take on this. I see the problem with Greco is this. The, one of the main goals in college or in, in wrestling when you start is to get a scholarship to college and to get as much of your education as paid for as possible. And whether coaches will say this out loud or not, they don't recruit Greco. They don't care about Greco. They care about whether or not you can grab legs and finish and if you can get up off the hop bottom. And so as a result, because of that, the best guys don't wrestle Greco coming out of college with the most accomplishments. And then it comes down to RTCs aren't going to pay for Greco. And it's a trickle down. But I really think it starts with 
because we wrestle folk style, which is obviously a lot more similar to freestyle than Greco. It's, and I don't see how that's going to change. If anything, if they ever changed folk style, they would change it into freestyle, not into Greco. So, you know, I, and I feel like, you know, last year we did better at the cadet Worlds. We had a champion, we had a runner up. Um, you know, I, I worked with Gary May. I've got to call the junior national dual finals in Greco with him, him and Lynn are doing their best, but I feel like it's the Steve Hill they're climbing. You know, what are your thoughts on all that? It is a tough problem and you're right. I mean, there are currently, I think two college Greco programs going on now that, uh, you know, now that we added one to Northern Michigan, but it, it's, you know, somebody put it, I think I was reading one of the forums and somebody put it pretty concisely why we struggle on the cadet level and our best cadet freestylers are good because they've wrestled folk style and that's a short jump. They don't know how to wrestle Greco. I mean, especially when you compare American Greco at the age group level to international Greco it's very different. Um, you know, it, go watch a weekend tournament in the U.S. and they're letting them get their hips back. You know, they're letting them do things <laughs> international refs are not going to let them do. So it's a huge jump from there to meddling. And, you know, the fact that we've had medalists the last two years, that's, I think I saw a stat that is the first time we've had Greco medalists in two straight Cadet World Championships since it came back. So it's basically since the 90s. Um, it's just not something we do very often. And it's tough. I, I don't know what the answer is for Greco, but, you know, I I think the only way it's going to – I don't think it's going to get better necessarily, but I think it serves its purpose. I think Glenland's concept of it as a martial art and identifying guys that want to be a little different, that want to take that different path, I think that's the right way to go. It's the only way to do it. Um, and if they can continue to build the college programs, so like you said, you can give more scholarships, get a few more than that, you might be able to attract some more people. But until then, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get in Greco. I thought our guys wrestled hard. They scored points, which was nice to see. Even, you know, but they made mistakes, and that's okay. That, that's going to happen, uh, especially at the cadet level. And like I said, coming at them, you know, a lot of these guys don't have much international competition in, in them. This is a building process. Um, maybe if one or two of those guys decide they love Greco and they want to take that path, great. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's it's a bonus when we win things in Greco, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm lucky enough here in St. Louis to work with two of the better Greco guys in the country and Malik Johnson, at least at the, at the now they're juniors, but they were cadets, Malik Johnson and Savion Severado. And both those guys, you know, won the U.S. Open and in the under 20s, and then uh, or under 23s, excuse me, and then um, you know lost in the two out of three. But they don't really have a lot of other guys to train Greco with. But I think that's part of the problem too, is when they have to go compete against like Northern Michigan guys, if that's all they do, that it, it's the little nuances of the game, you know, practicing to avoid the caution and twos, practicing to avoid negative wrestling. Um, and the rules seem to change a lot there, so that makes it very difficult. Um, I, th I think that's a, a tough hill. But, to, you know, to get us back on track, America had one medal there. Then, then the women's or the girls, you know, good showing, gold medal, a couple other medals. And I got to tell you a quick story, Alex. I literally haven't even told you this off air. 
I was at the OTC and the, the girls had a morning practice so the women did. And, you know, you hear them talking and wrestling and then all of a sudden everything's quiet and they're all huddled around Terry Steiner and a phone and they're watching, watching Emily Shilson wrestle. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't even need to know the score to know what happened. It was literally like, you know, watching a football or a baseball game where there's the, the two bad O's when she loses and then followed by the seven amazing celebration O's when uh, she gets on top and hits six cuts in a row. So it was a pretty cool experience to watch them, you know, kind of take that in. And I got a chance to interview, interview Terry Steiner. It's going to go up on track wrestling this week. The, the future of girls wrestling, women's wrestling, seems to be very bright in America. It definitely does. And it's great that it started in freestyle so that they don't have to make an adjustment. They just wrestle freestyle. Um, that's really nice at the college level. Uh, and you can argue whether it would make sense to switch college or not. I just don't think it's ever going to happen because it's already institutionalized our folk style. But the fact that women's is starting in college and freestyle, that's a, a great thing. And for Shilson to win a gold medal, you know, she came, got to the finals last year. She was so, she's been so good domestically and to do it with the Minnesota gut. I mean, I'm, I'm Brandon Paulson must've been smiling from ear to ear when that happened. <laughs> I mean, he must've been thrilled. And, you know, one of the things I really liked about our women's team, girls team, whatever you want to call it for the cadets, the two gold medalists, Emily Shilson and Macy Kilty, they both have been there before. They've both been close. They both had never won before. And you could not get two different body types. It's, I love when wrestlers of different sizes, different shapes, different looks succeed because wrestling is for everybody. We say it all the time, but it's really true. I mean, Shilson is this little thing. She's finally starting to get some muscle, not that she ever needed it to dominate. And Macy Kilty has just built herself into this just monstrous physical force. She's explosive. She's so dominant. You know, I mean, she a human highlight reel last year at Fargo. And they both get it done in different ways. It's great to watch, and it's great for the future of the women's sport. For sure. Amen to that. And Andy Hamilton wrote a great article about how both of them had lost the first time and how they trained their they changed their training, excuse me, and changed their mindset, and then that made a big difference. And it's, it's interesting, both of you guys, you know, being journalists of the year and, and approaching it from a journalistic background, that you know, you talk about hey, they, they've been there before and that sort of thing. Because you know, me with sort of the coaching background, I'm like, hey, you you don't know if you're ever going to get back. You got to do the best you can. And, you know, if you don't get it done the first time, it might be a huge missed opportunity. Your guys' perspective is very unique on that. But, you know, when you look at some of the hammers and, and how they're performing, and you had mentioned like a Forrest Molinari, like, I mean, she became a star, I think, in front of our eyes. And, you know, all the, the, the ladies that wrestled in the final X, and that didn't even include Marulis. Um, Adeline Gray looks like she's back on track. It, there's just a lot of positives there. and it's it's just like having a great junior high team. Those are the kids are going to probably do the best for your high school team. The better you recruit in high school, the more likely your college team is to win, and the more likely that these you know ages are performing well at, at their specific group. It bodes well for the senior level team as kids continue to go through the process. So let's jump over to the the, the boys team. Um, one gold, two silver, three bronze, 
second place overall as a team. I think everybody placed in the top 10. Uh, what what were your thoughts on, on the performance for the USA? I, I think we got a little spoiled last year winning team titles. Um, <laughs> we forgot how hard this international wrestling is. I, I know I was a little guilty of it when Kirk Fleet and Figueroa both lost it in the finals. I was like, I was really surprised, but it's, it's really hard to win at the international level. And I think it was a great performance. Um, a lot of the guys showed guts coming back to win late. Um, obviously our gold medalist, uh, Matt Ramos was behind when he turned a guy over and pinned him. And if you haven't seen the highlight, you should just to watch Kevin Jackson go nuts in the background. Uh, <laughs> he's doing a great My job. My man KJ getting it done. Yeah. He's doing a great job with the cadets. I remember last year when I was watching it live and I could hear him in the background, he, he would just go, woo. And just, <laughs> it was the soundtrack of the tournament because we were winning a lot. Uh, but yeah. the perfect level of, you know, keeping it loose and wrestling knowledge for that level. He's just perfect with those guys. He's doing a great job. Um, you know, Kirk Fleet got beat. I don't think many people saw him getting getting beat. There had been a lot of talk that maybe he could, you know, catch Gable Stevenson, uh, you know, as the next upcoming heavyweight. But he ran into an Iranian, and he's far from the first young guy, young American, to get bullied with that Iranian underhook. He'll adjust and come back, and he'll fix it. But, you know, that's what, ha that's what this tournament is all about. You get on that stage for the first time, and, yeah, we all want to win, but – it's really about learning so that when you come back for junior worlds, when you come back for the world championships, you've been there before and you don't have to learn that lesson in those matches. You've learned that lesson already. I guarantee you Kirk Fleet will adjust. Um, so I, they wrestled great. Uh, second place is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, it's, that's a great performance for our team. Yeah. I, I echo a lot of what you said. I think that America kind of has the same attitude about the senior level that, while we were at, we as a country were able to add Dake and add Taylor and, you know, we won the World Cup and all these other things. And first of all, I'm not a guy that says we because, you know, you and I aren't doing a lot to help that team get better. But <laughs> as a country, you know, I guess we're we. And I think people probably don't give these other countries enough credit that there's probably some hammers in Azerbaijan and Russia and, you know, all these Iran and all these other countries that they had some one A and one B guys that were really good like we did and now they're gonna to get to wrestle as well. And clearly all the best countries didn't come to the World Cup. You know, as far as the cadets, uh, you know, I get a chance to coach and work with Josh Saunders. It was cool to watch him wrestle for the first time. You know, to see him finish in the top eight, you know, is, is an accomplishment, especially for a kid that's going into his junior year in high school. Um very interesting sort of dichotomy for me to watch Matt Ramos win the world title and then do a track wrestling interview with Noah Certain, who is from Edwardsville, right across the river here in St. Louis, who actually won Matt Ramos' uh, weight class in the high school state tournament this year. So um, Illinois got a little bit of depth, as we all know, but, you know, that was pretty cool. And, Again, you know, I shout out to Kevin Jackson, Kellen Russell, Lee Pritz. Those guys did a great job with those kids. And I, I would venture to say you're going to see a lot of those guys, you know, be at the next level. I mean, I, I can only speak for like a kid like Josh, but he actually beat Vito Arujao, who then in the other under 20s lost Austin Gomez. So he goes and wins the under 23s, which is kind of crazy. So, 
there's kind of crazy depth that America has right now in these lower age groups. And, you know, just like we think a lot of these guys right now are going to be around for a long time. I think there's going to be a lot of guys getting challenged, you know, in the coming years. I think we're going to see, and I know you and I will talk about this later, but I think after the 2018 worlds are over and we kind of know who's qualified to sit in the version, whatever version of final X there is in 2019, I think we're going to see a lot of weight shifts, guys trying to get to that spot, make the 2019 world team at an Olympic weight and try to place to set them up for 2020. I'd agree with that. I mean, to your point, Matt Ramos, I mean, didn't win in Fargo last year, never won an Illinois state title. I think he's third and fifth so far, and he takes gold. So, yeah, that's some depth. <laughs> it's also a kid that believes in himself, right? Because, you know, it takes some – I don't know if I can say this on the air, but some cojones to believe I didn't win state. I'm going to go be the best in the world. And that's a lot – that's a big credit to that kid's mindset, to the coaches around him. And, you know, we gave a shout-out to the guys that are coaching the world team, but you know, most of these guys, they train year-round with their club coach and their high school coach. So the guys that helped him get ready for that told him he could do it. Um, I, I remember Lee, Brit, Lee Pritz told me a story last year. You know, Aaron Brooks was a was a backup or a reserve, and he ends up making the cadet team. And um, at one point he sees Brooks' open backpack or suitcase or whatever you want to call it, and he's got an American flag in there. And Pritz says, what's that about? And he goes, for after I win. <laughs> uh, I was like, I love the mindset of that, right? I mean, these kids, you know, and obviously he did. But, I mean, just to think that way is special, right? Absolutely. You have to have that mindset. And to your point about the club coaches and the high school coaches, you know, earlier you said you don't like to say we, but a lot of people can say we and really mean it because a lot of people have a hand in these medals. A lot of people, a lot of work goes into making the, you know, making the team, getting them over the overseas, making sure they're ready to go. And it's, it's special to watch that, to know how many people had a hand in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I get to see that where I'm at, you know, getting to sit in Josh's corner and Savion and Malik's and those guys, um, you know, but again, I, I guess I'm sort of the credit belongs to the man in the arena, the guy that's really getting it done. But you're right. These kids wouldn't be where they are without a tremendous amount of support, usually from their parents and club coaches and things like that. So, you know, I, I think you said it very, very well when, you know, we got a little spoiled last year, you know, but the cadets took second last year and they took second again this year. So, you know, I also read a really interesting article how after last year's cadets, that Iran changed their whole system and they got a guy in charge that they felt like was really going to develop guys and put the right guys on the mat. And they literally were dealing with political problems for 17 year olds. Although some of those dudes look a little bit older than 17, but <laughs> a couple of those guys looked older than me. <laughs> Did you know Because <laughs> a couple of those guys had full beards. I'm just saying. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know if I was like protesting or jealous or maybe both. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, great, great showing overall for that squad. And, you know, all three of them, I feel like, you know, those programs are on the rise. Um, there's really no good segue to this, but, uh, you know, wrestling had a rough week. We lost uh, two people from our wrestling family, Eli Stickley and Mike DeRoe. 
uh, I'm going to, you know, give you the floor first and then, you know, tell a little bit about my relationship with Mike Durow. But what were your thoughts as you heard about these things really like within 24, 36 hours from each other? Yeah, and it was coming on the heels. I think Macy Kilty won her gold that morning, basically overnight, and then we find out that we've lost Mike Durow and then we've lost Eli Stickley. And it's there's no good way to prepare for that. It happens, you know, in the world, you lose people. And we, we've known Mike Durow has been fighting for a long time. Um, I got a chance to be around Mike Durow a little bit at the World Cup this year. And it was, I, I don't, I barely got to know the man. And I could feel how inspiring he was, how true to, how big his personality was it's so amazing to watch because i know by that point he had already been fighting for a very long time and his body was taking a beating and you know he's wearing the mask and puttering around and still he had time for everybody anyone that wanted to say hello wish him good luck you know everybody knows the man in wrestling so it, it was amazing to see after all he had been through he just kept going and it's really sad that to see him go, but uh, hopefully he's at peace now and can rest a little bit. Um, and then Eli Stickley, you know, that's, it's a tragedy when we lose somebody that young. Um, that's, it's just really unfortunate and there's not much to say, but uh, I wish his family peace because that's, that's a, unthinkable to have happen. But. Yeah. As far as Stickley goes, you're right. I mean, I've coached a couple kids that actually served in special forces and, um, you know, they died in service, but at a very young age. And one kid, a kid named Riley Baker here in Eureka, Missouri, literally the entire town came out. And I'm sure, stickly, you know, with Wisconsin and with Ohio, where he's from, that they, that's going to happen. And like you said, you know, praying for peace is, is really all you can hope for for those people. You know, Mike DeRoe is one of those guys. I always think about coaches in a couple different contexts, but one of them is how many really high level guys pay attention to that guy as a coach. Because sometimes you get assigned to a guy as a coach and yeah, you'll let them towel you off or something like that or hold your backpack for you. But how many of them, you know, you really listen to and you watch like some of the best guys and you saw this all over Twitter and social media, you know, the guys like Tony Ramos, the guys like Brent Metcalf, um, you were at World Cup like I was. Like I'm sure you saw this, how Thomas Gilman treated Mike Durow the whole weekend. Uh, you know, just what he what that relationship meant. And you know, I, I don't think anybody thinks that Thomas Gilman's probably the most sentimental human being in the world. But you could see that relationship and what it meant to him. And so, you know, I think any of us have had a grandparent die or something like that after a long illness. In some ways, it's a blessing. You get to say goodbye and I love you to the people, you know, before you go, you know, no, no things get left unsaid. And then, you know, depending on what you believe in, you go to a better place. So we definitely want to wish the Stickley family and the Durrell family, you know, all the best from track wrestling and you guys are in our prayers. So once again, there's no easy way to segue into this, but the last thing we're going to talk about today is Fargo. And, um, you know, one of the things that you talked about at Final X, how we're able to preview who's going to wrestle and all those kind of things. Fargo, the lineups from states are dribbling in all the time. And as you well know, they'll still make last-minute changes. 
overall, what are you expecting from Fargo this year? And are there, you know, a couple guys that you might be watching uh, to see either to wrestle up to the level that they're expecting or there any sort of dark horses that you're following that you'll be interested to see how they do? Uh, I mean, the one that really jumped out to me was Nelson Brands, just because we don't see him on the national level very often. And I still just don't know what he's going to be. I mean, he's still relatively inexperienced for as much as the wrestling world knows his name. Um, I mean, I'm assuming he's, he, he was there last year. He didn't make the podium and you know what you're going to get with a brand. He wrestles like a brand. So that's exciting. I'm still interested to see what he becomes. And I think he's got a lot of room for improvement. I, I think he'll get there, but I, I'm really going to keep an eye on him. I'm interested to see what he, because I'm, you know, the brand's personality. I mean, and Nelson is his own man. I don't want to ascribe to him that he's, you know, a Tom and Terry clone. He's his own man. He's different, but you know, it is driving him crazy that he didn't get it done last year. So he, I, I'm really interested to see how he goes this year. And then Anthony Artelone is coming back. I don't know that a three-time Fargo champion, you know, he's won the last three years in freestyle. I don't know that a guy like that has ever been rated as low as Artelona is in some places. And that's, it's fair because his folk style results haven't been as good. Uh, but he just something about Fargo. He is so good when he gets in that arena. So I'll be interested to see if he can finish it off and do it one more time. Um, the other thing I'm following is Gracie Figueroa has a chance to win her sixth Fargo title, which would tie Tashia Allo for the all-time record for women uh, with six. They only, I mean, they only have six chances. You can only win six combined between Cadet and Junior for them. So uh, she has a chance to tie that and obviously would be a heavy favorite to do so. Uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. I love talking to guys like you and Andy because you guys – you guys see the storylines and, you know, those are not any of the storylines I would have thought of, you know, mostly it's me. It's like, Hey, I saw these hammers wrestle at junior duels and I hope they get to wrestle again. Like a, you know, like a Gleva versus D'Amelio and those kind of matches. Like, you know, there's a rumor that plot's going to go up at least one way to maybe two, you know, some of the guys that didn't make world teams are coming back into Fargo, like a Severado, but you know, those, those storylines you talked about are super compelling. And, you know, it'll be awfully interesting to see how they go. You know, one of the other things, and we, you and I did talk about this, and we had a healthy, I guess I would call it a debate, and I guess we can have it now, <laughs> about the, uh, no, it's great. It's always good to hear the other sides of the story, and I'm not even sure I'm on my side that strongly, but for the sake of this conversation, I will be. Um, there are thoughts of changing the format of Fargo. And for people that don't know, essentially right now, you can qualify through your your state's freestyle or Greco-Roman tournament. You place top three. And that's how you get brackets that can be up to 150 people. One of the thoughts is to make the regionals, i.e. like in my area, the Southern Plains, the Northern Plains, the Central Regional. Um, but, you know, there's six of, excuse me, there's six of them around the country to make to give those a lot more credence in the qualifying process, that the top eight from there would qualify, which would give you 48 spots, and there'd probably be about 16 wild cards on other criteria, whether it's your state tournament place or 
past all Americans or past world teams or, you know, some, some member or some criteria set by USA wrestling to get the brackets to 64 guys. Now I will lay out the argument that why this is a good idea. And then I will give you the floor to tell me why it's not the argument on why it's a good idea is that there's a bunch of guys that go, that go, Oh, and two, they get trap arm cut or leg waist. You know, they don't even wrestle maybe four or five minutes. And, you know, they spend a lot of money to go there. And those guys might be better off being at a camp or another event or, you know, something like that. And then the other part of that is if you make Fargo smaller in terms of the number of participants, then you don't need as many mats. And that opens it up. I mean, we're literally calling it Fargo, but the USA Wrestling Nationals, you know, the cadet and junior nationals, um, it allows them to consider other venues, which I think they would like to consider. Now, you brought up some good points when we talked off air. Tell me why this is a, not a good idea. <laughs> okay. I mean, since we talked, obviously my initial reaction was very negative to the thought. Um, not that Fargo should never change, but I'm not really sure what's broken with it. Um, looking at the numbers that they're getting, I mean, they've, they're getting more people now than ever. Now, some of that's due to the women being added in, but even if you look at junior freestyle, um, cadet freestyle, there are just a handful of years where it's ever been bigger than it is now. So people are not running away from Fargo as it stands. Um, so from a USA wrestling standpoint, I guess my question would be, what are you trying to fix? Um, now, if you want to move it and you're having trouble finding a venue, that's valid. I'm not sure you should move it. Uh, obviously it's a long journey for a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, nothing else is going on in Fargo then. So there's a unique opportunity there. Um, it's kind of like we talked about earlier. I don't know that there's a perfect solution here. And I think everybody always has a chance to, you know, look at Fargo and there's a lot to tinker with and to try to fix. Um, you mentioned, you know, okay, maybe guys go 0-2 or 0-4 and, and they, you know, they don't get much time on the mat. You know, I was that guy. Um, 1999, I qualified. I was a 98-pound junior. Um, got Still a, in the game. Yeah. Still in the game, Steve. 98 pounds, baby. 98 pounds. <laughs> and the only reason I qualified is because there were two 98-pounders in the state of Oklahoma that year. I was the second <laughs> one. So I qualified, and I get up there. But And, yeah, I went 0-4. Um, I was in competitive in one of the Greco matches and made a stupid mistake to lose. Uh, but, by and large, I got rolled. Uh, by two high All-Americans and then by one guy that didn't place. So, obviously, I was way down in the field. Uh, and, yeah, my I may have been better served going to a camp. Not that I couldn't have gone to a camp, too, that summer. I mean, there's plenty of time. But the difference is I was part of Team Oklahoma. Jason Powell that year was going for his fifth and sixth junior national titles. Um, he was trying to be the second person ever to do it, and he ended up coming up one short when he finished fifth in freestyle. My claim to fame that year was he weighed in in my singlet because I had an extra small singlet, and he had a small, and he thought those couple of ounces might make the difference. So, you know, and that stuff like that, you can't put a price tag on that. I worked out with those guys constantly. Jason Powell, I think Johnny Hendricks was on that team. You know, there's just – 
it exposed a world of wrestling for me. You know, I was, I wrestled all the way up from when I was in second grade on into college. But for me at that time, you know, I was getting ready to be a senior and I'd never been to a national tournament. I was okay. I didn't know what it looked like to be that good. And I got to be around those guys basically for two straight weeks between the camp beforehand, riding up, freestyle, Greco, and riding back. You know, I just, I already loved the sport, but I got a whole new perspective on it. And to going into my senior year and I was ready to go, you know, that cemented for me. I was already ready to go wrestle in college, but that cemented for me that I'm not done here. Like, there is so much more to learn about this sport. There's so much more to figure out. And so I think there's value in that. I don't think every national tournament needs to be only the best of the best. And when, you know, maybe they want to encourage people to go to the regionals and they want to, you know, get more people a shorter trip. And that's, you know, that's valid. Everybody's got to deal with spending their money on what they think is worth it. But I guess my question would be, you know, are the state associations going to go to those regionals? Maybe they will. Maybe it'll be nice. Maybe we can do that. Maybe you can do a camp beforehand and do all that. But then they're going to have another camp for Fargo. And it turns into a whole big thing. You've got guys coming and going because some of them made the world team and some of them didn't. They've got other, you know, obligations. I don't know. Fargo is a unique force of nature on the schedule. And I really don't like the idea that, oh, we should just, we should make it more exclusive. I don't like that idea. I, I understand there's some economic factors at play for a lot of the states. Some people don't like the state associations running the qualifying. I understand that part too. My argument for that would be if you don't like the state association, figure out how to change leadership and run it right. I understand that's a little naive. Well, that's a whole nother that's a whole yeah, nother can of worms. That's though, a right? whole I mean, it is. I just wanted to mention it because people are gonna bring that up that, you know, this qualifying through the state associations could be a problem. On the flip side, the state associations that are doing it right would be hurt by this because they're not gonna get, you know, only six regionals, most states aren't gonna get one. So No, but you can send your kids to any of the regionals. Right. That would be the argument. Right, but now you don't now you don't have to wrestle in the state association state tournament to qualify. I mean, I know Oklahoma has two. The argument just interrupt for the argument would be if you wrestle in that state tournament, that would probably be that would probably set you as the number one wild card opportunity from your state. If you're in a well, I think from any state, I think that's what they were saying. That's what they would want to do to encourage that. So, right. You know, but like if, say, if you have, if, I mean, and this isn't going to happen, but if you're talking about whatever, however many states we have now, 45, 46, 47 that have USA wrestling, if you send all those state champions and 48 placers, now there's going to be some overlap there, but now you're getting past the 64 man bracket, which is fine. And if I'm, I might be more amenable to the idea if that's the solution, but even then I don't like making it an exclusive event. You know, I mean, super 32 is the folk style equivalent, I think, because it's got, you know, it's kind of the biggest national tournament and it, it has qualifying. You can't just go enter that. I guess you can probably go enter some of the other ones, but you're not. The weird thing is you can go enter all the other ones except super 32. Like, if you want to go to NHSCAs, even if you didn't medal, you can just petition. They're going to take your $100 and enter you. If you want to enter 
you know, the other national tournament. You can do that. If you want to enter the USA preseason wrestling national, you can enter that. Like, it's kind of weird that all of our big national tournaments, there's literally no qualifier. And, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you said, if there's 48 spots and then 45 states, what I guess what I'm saying is that they out to, to fill that 64, they're going to pick them out of those state champions. So, yeah, and, and I'm not sure that 64 is a hard number. I think it might be, hey, if guys reach a certain criteria, they get in, like, you know, almost like a sales contest. You know, if you get above a certain threshold, it doesn't matter how many people go, go. They're going to set that threshold high enough because they can look at the data of the kids that have entered and go, okay, this would get us to about 64 guys, give or take. I think what that does do is encourage people to wrestle at other levels and and try to get in. Your point about being a part of Team Oklahoma is super cool. Um, I'm probably going to have to talk to you privately off air about that extra small singlet story. There's a lot of jokes there. I'm not going to take a shot at right now, but um, I do see the value of being a part of that. And I remember being a part of Team Missouri and watching guys win it and things like that. And it's it's super cool. And I got a chance to win it one year. And, you know, it's a cool thing. I don't know that it's it's the right answer, but I do think it's something that people should be keeping an eye out on because I think it does have some merit. I'm not saying it's the right decision, but it's certainly not a crazy idea, especially, you know, one of the biggest things about Fargo is it's so expensive. And the other thing is coaches don't pay. So the kids are literally financing themselves and the coaches. Like if you could get this in a place like a Chicago or a St. Louis or any place in the Midwest that, you know, you have a big airport that you can fly directly into and not have to take these puddle jumpers or drive, you know, halfway across the country, it would make it a lot easier for kids to go. You know, like we I've actually talked to the sports commission here about it. The problem is, you know, the one of the beauties of Fargo is there's literally nobody there. So kids can walk across campus and it's safe. And Fargo gives USA Wrestling an unbelievable deal on how they set that up financially. So, but obviously there were some complications the last couple of times. I mean, us older guys know this tournament used to be at Central Missouri State, now which is now UCM, and before that it was at the University of Northern Iowa in the Dome. You know, but when you start limiting it to, hey, somebody has to have an indoor football field to be able to host this, it really limits, you know, where you can take the event. I think they're trying to look at putting them maybe in some different places, you know, maybe getting multiple bids, things like that. And that makes sense. I mean, I understand that from their perspective. I'm, I would hate to see it leave Fargo just because of what it's become and it's what it means to that community. I mean, when you're up there for the wrestling tournament, everybody knows it's going on. And I think that's pretty cool, but I understand they have, you know, they have other masters to serve to your point about the national tournament. I mean, it's kind of weird in freestyle and Greco because as great as Fargo is and as vaunted as a Fargo title is for all of us, it's not the most important tournament of the year in freestyle and Greco, I would argue, because the trials are for those levels. So it's it's kind of an odd thing. and I, It's what makes Fargo great. It's different than everything else, and I hope it stays that way. That doesn't mean they can't change it, but I would hate to see them do too much to change what I think is a pretty great thing. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, it's an interesting conversation, right? Like, it's like a lot of things. There is no right answer. It's almost like where we started with Final X, right? right. You know, where, you know, and like people have argued, should it be in one spot? Should it be in two spots? Should it be in three spots? Um, you know, anybody with skin in the game sort of really needs to disqualify themselves from, you know, saying they're looking at it from an unbiased point of view. You know, I live in the Midwest, you live in the Midwest. We like to have as many things here in the Midwest as possible, but, you know, I'm sure we wouldn't feel that way if one of us lived in California and one of us lived in New York. So, you know, but it's, it's, these are good topics to toss around to, um, you know, to explore and to kind of give people an idea of the kind of things that are being thought about. And I'm sort of intrigued by it, you know, because I, I look at it as all these other tournaments are almost opened and, um, you know, this is different. I do think your point about the trials and some other things are, are unique. So uh, it's, but, you know, I think the main thing is Fargo is going to be awesome this coming week. There's going to be a ton of matches that people are really looking forward to. There's going to be some huge upsets. And the good news for you and me is there's going to be plenty to talk about next week. <laughs> That's for sure. There was one, one of the storylines I forgot to mention, Anthony Cassiope is going for a triple crown. It would be his second one. He did it last year for USA Wrestling, won Folk Style, Freestyle, and Greco Nationals. There's not many people that have done that. I think I saw it reported that there were single-digit people that have done that. Now, part of that is a lot of guys don't go to Folk Style Nationals, but he could do it for the second straight year, which is pretty ridiculous. He has entered. I saw Team Illinois just a minute ago. So keep an eye on him. Is Team Illinois, do they do, I don't, I don't recall. They're very good at freestyle and Greco. I mean, they bring a lot of guys. It's a numbers game, right? And they're all free. Yeah, okay. They're all right. All yeah. hands. <laughs> <laughs> bring a lot of guys, bring a lot of girls, and they wrestle tough. That's, that's a good formula. <laughs> yeah. Bringing a lot of numbers that are really good generally leads to good results for sure. So. Well, we're going to do something a little different to close out. If, if you guys want us to bring up any subjects or kick anything around, if you have any questions or comments, you can get at us on Twitter. I'm at DMiriKitani, D-M-I-R-I-K-I-T-A-N-I. Alex, what's your handle? I'm at Alex Steen, U-N-A-T, the unattached abbreviation. Unattached. Does your wife know about that? I mean, she's not here right now, so what she doesn't know <laughs> probably get me hurt. <laughs> We'll make sure to send her this podcast first thing in the morning. So, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 88. We appreciate all of you guys listening. You can find us on trackwrestling.com or the Matt Talk online radio podcast. Wish you guys all the best. Speak to you all next week.